Hello, cyber friends. This is Chatting Cyber, and I'm your host, Mark Shine. This podcast focuses on how companies can help qualify and quantify the cost of a data breach. Chatting Cyber features some of the most well-respected privacy and cyber experts in the world. Join the conversation with business leaders, government agencies, and cyber experts to learn more about how and why they got into this ever-changing field that we call cyber risk. Hello, cyber colleagues. I'm Mark Schein, National Co-Chair of the Cyber Center of Excellence here at Marshall McLennan Agency. And today we have a true cyber celebrity with us. Max, thank you for joining. Thanks for having me today, Mark. And great to see the view out of uh, a New York window as well. Well, we look forward to next time you're coming on this side of the pond to having you over to the New York office. I'm looking forward to it indeed. We've been dealing with 108 degrees here in London, so uh, it's not been fun. <laughs> not been fun here. Well, we have plenty of pools here for you in New York. So, so, so Max, uh, again, thank you for coming on the show and chat cyber with us. Uh, you know, my first question is, is now how does a gentleman who grew up in UK end up uh, 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 revolutionizing uh, communication encryption here in the United States and abroad? Uh, well, look, it's a very kind, uh, kind way of phrasing that question. And uh, firstly, I appreciate you again having me on today. So uh, look, it's been an interesting journey. I grew up in a little town called Canterbury in the UK, uh, which is really known for its cathedral. And I don't think anyone in cybersecurity grew up there alongside me. So it's definitely been a journey. Been in London for about eight years now. So um, so I had a background in another startup. I think you know this, this Mark. I was uh, one of the first employees in a business called CoinShares, which did, did very well over the first few years. And it was really operating in that very regulated climate. So we were, you know, we were between the US, the UK, Stockholm, Paris. It was operating in that kind of climate that really taught me about the different jurisdictional challenges, especially where data is regarded, right? So where you're storing data, how you're encrypting data, but also who owns the encryption keys. So that was really my first learning. And it's, it, yeah, I just got a, really got into the cyberspace, really into the privacy space about five years ago. Um, and I'm really excited to have been kind of building Wilder for the past three years as well. Sure. So, so let's jump right into it, Max. Um, you know, given your expertise in the space, you know, I, you know, my question is, is you, hear, you see some of these wonderful communication platforms, things like Teams or Slack amongst others, not picking on any one individual. Um, you know, why is there an additional need for security when working with some of these uh, perhaps uh, touted as very secured platforms from, from some of the most reputable organizations in the world? Yeah, absolutely. This is this is the best question. And I mean, for sure, like we're not building these products for every single user on these platforms. I mean, these are great products. I believe, you know, for instance, Microsoft Teams, I think has approached 300 million uh, users, which is an incredible number. I mean, we don't build these solutions for the broad base. We build them for specific industry verticals that have needs that go a little bit beyond a well, one size fits all for, for certain products. And there have been, without naming names, there have been some other great platforms in the B2B kind of secure, quote unquote, data sovereign space uh, that have done really well. There's one in, one in the US, one in one Europe, one in South America. And these are great products. But I guess when I was leaving that, that business I briefly mentioned before, when I was leaving there and I was thinking about these ideas like data localization, sovereignty, my thesis was no one really wants to change platform. You know, so if you're on Slack and if you've built one of the best fintechs in Europe, for instance, and they're suddenly highly regulated with four and a half thousand employees, ripping your employees off that platform 
and trying to retrain them all to use something else because suddenly you're heavily regulated in Germany or wherever it is, that's a pretty tall order, right? It's a pretty tall order. So I guess the thesis for us was how do we, how do we solve these challenges without making people leave the platforms they love? So for instance, basically how do we kind of re-engineer that backend so you can essentially run these products in your own environment, private cloud, hybrid cloud, on-premises, but to the end user, they have the same experience. That was the problem statement and that's really why we built the company. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, to your point, nobody likes change, right? Um, so if you're able to make it more seamless and add on that additional level of security, I mean, it seems like a win-win in my book. Yeah, and it's look, it's an ever-changing space. For instance, like, um, you know, from an existential point, uh, we've very much been a cybersecurity company uh, through and through for the last few years. And are lucky enough to, to work with some of the, the you know, the biggest uh, financial companies, pharmaceutical companies around the world, uh, you know, and, and other sectors. I think what's interesting now is the element of compliance that becomes embedded also in people's cyber strategy. For instance, one of the biggest products we got requests from, especially in financial services, was like a compliance wrapper, quote unquote, for WhatsApp, because I don't know if you saw this, Mark, but I think there's been... I, I read in like fortune.com that there's been about a billion dollars in fines sure. just, for, just for consumer messenger use, which kind of blew, blew my mind. And it was really going where these, these, these great companies were asking us to go, which pulled us into governance questions, compliance questions, privacy questions, as well as, of course, the security sphere. So, so given the change, or, or I guess, let me ask you, um, you know, we are now starting to come out of a pandemic. Um, communication styles have changed perhaps more so in the past, you know, two or three years than, you know, in the last hundred years, you know, what is really the current landscape for communication in your opinion going forward? Is it more using channels like this? Is it going to go kind of revert back into in-person meetings? Um, and again, of course, this is just a personal opinion. You know, we won't, we promise we won't hold your feet to the fire on your thoughts. Yeah, no, I appreciate that because I feel like everyone's got a different, you know, different thought process around this. I mean, from my end, it felt, uh, and I don't know what you think about this, Mark, but I, uh, yeah, I really felt like it was a bit like Pandora's box was opened, right, in, uh, you know, in COVID, when everyone suddenly went the other way. Yep. It feels like even though the majority of these big cities are back where they were, people haven't flipped back to, to, to 100%, right? It feels like at least a hybrid style is here to stay. Um, especially that's what I see here in London. I'm, I'm not sure what the deal is in, in York from your perspective. Um, but yeah, it did really feel like that kind of shook stuff up for the longer term. And, um, and obviously you mentioned communication styles. I mean, obviously we built this company in COVID. So, you know, it was an interesting time to come out, to begin to come out of stealth. Um, and yeah, but I think behavior was kind of changed for the longer term. I think people realized that I certainly think productiveness you you know it, it is still is still fairly high now we can definitely debate whether you can make meaningful relationships right i mean we've talked about this about you know we met online i mean but i now spend a lot of time in new york so i just love sitting down with folks one-to-one -one, actually being in the room but in terms of like how much you can actually get done zoom after zoom after zoom you know it is pretty great being able to have that hybrid model at least from my perspective i don't know what your thoughts are on that you know, we very much agree the same way. Um, you know, we're in the office two to three days a week to take care of client matters. But, you know, more often than not, to me, it's not necessarily even the collaboration with the internal colleagues. It's just getting that 
um, that personal touch with the clients, right? Uh, the law firm that you might be working with, the CPA that you're working with, and then just being able to have that uh, after dinner conversation. Oftentimes, I do think that's the, the piece that is missing with the, the Zoom communication. Makes it much more efficient, but you're losing that interpersonal connection that you may not be able to get, you know, over a cocktail. It, absolutely. And it's, you know, that's definitely been something for me, especially on the customer side. And, uh, you know, don't hold, don't hold me on this next thing uh, when I let you in on this, but it's, I, you know, it, it's spurred a lot of traveling for me, you know, because we've got fantastic customers in the US, but also, for instance, in Dubai, right, in the UAE, sure. Switzerland, the amount of times after COVID, I just literally jumped on a plane, Mark, and I just went for lunch or dinner in, in you know, in, in Zug or in Zurich just to sit down with people, have a dinner, you know, because, you know, you make a relationship and you have all these chats online. But yeah, I, I, for me, it's always worth the flight just to sit down with people, right? Obviously, that's not that's not scalable in the longer, longer term for everyone, but I, sure, I love being sure. able to do that, <laughs> you know. But, but sometimes, like you said, it, it's worth jumping on a plane. And, and oftentimes, you know, at least in my experience, you know, CISOs often traveling groups or talking groups, right? And if one solution's working one, a great for one, oftentimes they'll let them know, hey, this is really a, a meaningful solution. And consequently, uh, if it, uh, you know, is not everything that it was once sold, uh, perhaps it was, uh, that will get communicated as well. My, my question to you, Max, is, um, how has the CISO community uh, received this application? And then part two is what are the challenges that, or some of the larger challenges that CISOs are facing today? Yeah, look, I mean, this is a really important question. I think one thing that I didn't appreciate and, uh, you know, before this journey was just how small the community is, right? Um, you know, I, I, especially in Europe, and I know it's similar in the US, but how, just how tiny that CISO community is, which is just been fascinating, right, to watch. I mean, you know, oftentimes the phrase, it's a small world is bandied about. I think it's especially true in this industry. Sure. Uh, and you're absolutely right. That can be a great thing. But if things don't work out, it can it can definitely go the other way. Um, so we were really, really lucky to have a friend and colleague of mine invest in one of our very, very first uh, funding rounds called Andreas Vukner, who's a chat based out in, in Zurich. And, you know, Andreas has been CISO of uh, UBS, CISO of Novartis, Pharmaceuticals, Group Head of IT and Risk at Credit Suisse. I mean, uh, you know, just a fantastic CV. And, and he's also been involved both from an advisory and investment perspective in some of the, you know, arguably some of the best cybersecurity startups in the world. So it's been an absolute pleasure to have him on board and work with him um, because again, you know, having access to the, to these really small communities has been incredible. But it has been, you know, I've, I've had the pleasure of speaking to these kind of personalities many, many times, you know, probably hundreds of conversations in the last 18 months. And I would definitely say, depending on where you are in the world, your priorities do slightly change, right? For instance, I mean, if we get away from like, you know, just talking about DDoS and, you know, you know kind of those more direct attacks whatever it is if we think with our longer term proactive hats on rather than kind of more like reactionary things that have to happen you know because there's a lot of really tough stuff that's happened this year for obvious reasons i think we're all aware of what's happened and there's been a lot of really tough reactionary me measures but i think if we look like proactively into the future the answer is going to change from maybe your new york domiciled CISO to your berlin one Right. So your German CISO, for instance, is, is going to be thinking a lot about data localization, hugely about data sovereignty. 
Uh, you know, you have the same in India, for instance, given the new laws that have been passed in the last couple of, couple of years in, in India. And, um, and that's been fascinating, right? Because you get such a variety of perspectives. I mean, I feel like in the UK as well, we've, we've struggled a little bit because of Brexit. It's like, where do you stand? In, you know, you have the EU laws around privacy, sure. around data, but now we're kind of working it out for ourselves as well as a, a you know, as, as a nation now, now that we're separating what separate is. So, yeah, that's been, I think, a learning curve for everyone, right? Um, and I've, I've really enjoyed that process. So, so shifting gears, um, would you feel comfortable, Max, explaining to our listeners what Zero Trust is? Yeah, and I think, um, look, I, I want to caveat this with saying there, there are no zero trust products, right? Uh, because I feel like, you know, you go to one of these conferences. I was lucky enough to speak at InfoSec Europe uh, a month or whenever it was ago. And I mean, just everyone's got zero trust everywhere. And, and you know, it's an important concept, but it's not a, not a product, right? And again, it's it's it all comes down to essentially least privileged access and building in controls and governance at every step of the way, right? Um, into your entire policy outlook. And that's when I think I mentioned before about the, I guess we have this piece of cybersecurity that goes much in, more into governance and risk. And this is back to the academic, uh, academic principle of zero trust around, you know, privilege of least access, you know, all these kind of different, different pieces that play into that. But I just wanted to say that at the beginning because I know zero trust is bandied about so much and especially, sure. especially in terms of products and obviously, I think we forget how it's so academically rooted in the original thesis. So, so Max, um, you know, I want to be sensitive on time. We've talked about a significant range, uh, you know, of topics on today's call. Um, is there anything that I should have asked you that we didn't get a chance just to discuss before I let you go? No, I mean, I think this has been great and it's been great, great to, to get to know you over the last couple of months. I mean, it's, uh, you know, the only thing I would say in terms of like my answers today is it's such an interesting, changing and shifting landscape. And I don't know how you, you found this year, Mark, obviously the elephant in the room is what's going on in Eastern Europe. I mean, you know, this is a, this is a story that's unfolding and obviously it's, you know, some of the people that are most thinking about this at the moment is CISOs, right? how is this how from an infosec perspective how is this changing what we're thinking the amount of attacks that you know have been exponentially increasing this year um you know and that's something we look at frequently i mean again look what we do as a business is i know it's a little bit of a buzzword and we've talked about buzzwords on this call but it's you know we try and really build data sovereignty into products so how do you literally remove all third-party access and give complete data sovereignty back to the customer. Um, and again, look, this is a learning journey for me as well. I mean, we have customers in Zurich, Germany, uh, you know, the UAE, the UK, US. It's fascinating how different policy is, regulation is, and jurisdictional control. So I would say, look, shifting sands, and um, you know, it requires a lot of a lot of work to keep on top of this. But it's a fascinating place to be. So um, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to listening to more of these podcasts myself as well, Mark. So, 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 Max, before I let you go, how do we find you? Uh, is it LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, email? What's the best way for our listeners to contact you if they have questions or perhaps want to get engaged with your products? Yeah, so, so my company's called World. Uh, I, I'm not sure if I mentioned that at the beginning. So that's worldr.com. So you can hit us up on the website. My, my name is Max Buchan, B-U-C-H-A-N. Uh, feel free to reach out on LinkedIn. Um, and again, spending more and more time in the U.S. Uh, on the East Coast at the moment. 
So uh, maybe partially based there from the end of this year in case that's of interest to your, to your listeners as well. Excellent. Well, I appreciate your time and thank you for coming on the show and chatting cyber with us. All right. Thanks so much, Mark. Take care.